0: Okay. Today we are starting with Richard Lowe from Shared Practices. And if you're thinking this is going to be a round 2 with Bulletproof versus Shared Practices, <laughs> you are completely correct.
1: No. <laughs> you are
0: wrong in a lot of in a lot of fa- uh, facilities. Facilities? Craig, it's been a while since a podcast, so I might be stumbling cuz Craig's been uh world traveling around here, so I might be stumbling over the intro, stumbling over some words, Richard I have a problem with words. Uh, ironically, uh, or pronunciation I should say. But honestly, Richard, I have never got. I've never met you in person. I've never really had a conversation. And we've done some kind of pre-conversations prior. And I'm excited to dig into this because I know that you were the the original founder of Shared Practices. I'll let you do your kind of own context here. But I have been a listener of you and Shared Practices a long time, and I thought it was really cool that you took the leap to start a podcast as a dental student. Am I right about that?
2: So close. So uh, this is exciting because. We've actually hung out off air uh, virtually quite a bit since that last episode. We've had a lot of conversations and I've gotten to know you two virtually. And And I'm bummed that I didn't get to come to your uh, most recent summit, your your most recent event. I had family planned, like they were driving out from Utah to Indiana where I am right now. And it was exactly that weekend. So uh, next year, I, I definitely want to come out to your guys' uh, uh, summit. Event, your summit, All right. yeah.
0: Thank you, bud. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You're right. I'd I'd forgotten we'd had conversations, kind of not related to our podcast. But you're right. We had we had met. Um, We've been talking. Well, and then you and I
2: actually met in person at the first Voices of Dentistry. Yes, um, and in Nashville. At that point, I I started the podcast a year out of dental school when I was in the army. I did the army scholarship. I had worked for Howard Ferran. I produced his podcast my senior year in dental school. I was involved in podcasting there and produced you know i think it was from like episode 20 to episode 200 of, of howards and i was holding him back he wanted to be like five seven days a week i'm like howard no one can keep up with that much content yeah. and you got to <laughs> let your guests speak you got to let them say something bad
0: <laughs> um, i had that experience
1: yeah I was we guest were the, listener get, we were the guest
0: listeners we we make yeah. this joke richard that sometimes we bring people on and we do the same we do we howardize them um, but it's funny, we, we both went on Howard's podcast and kind of just sat there with his punt, you know, he just went on these rants and I was like, okay, yeah. like good talk. Yeah. Uh, so we call it guest listening when you're, when you come on as a guest and you don't say anything, you just listen.
2: Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a strategy. I swore that on our podcast, uh, if we brought someone on, we wanted, we wanted to hear them talk. you what
0: they had to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. So we're going to hear what you have to say. So keep going with your, your story about, uh, the, I was wrong about you starting it as a student then.
2: Yeah, so I started a year out. I had met Alan Mead. We had hung out my senior year, and he was encouraging me. Others, Mark Casas, they were encouraging me to start my own podcast. But I really had the sense of who the heck wants to listen to a new grad talk about practice ownership, mm-hmm. especially because I was in the army. Like I literally was stuck in the army for another five years as part of my my uh, scholarship that I was very grateful for. But I couldn't put into action what I was learning about practice ownership. I would just had angst and so that's what the podcast was born out of was you
0: didn't have you were talking about practice ownership but you didn't have a practice right meaning you weren't Mm. like military dentists who also owned at one point
2: i was i did buy three practices while i was in the army not that i recommend that that was a, a a few years later but at the time my assumption was i can't put this in action but my goal was that in five years of podcasting let's do seasons and let's lay it out in a chronological order for the new grad who's graduating in 2022 or 2026 Mm -hmm. or 2016 at the time how do they go from graduating with a half a million in debt to owning a successful practice what are the steps in between and can we smooth that journey out because if you buy the wrong practice if you screw it up like you can put yourself behind or if you delay it and say i'll do it later you can leave a lot on the table Or if you get it wrong and think you should own a practice, but then you realize it's not the right fit for you and and practicing for someone else, you can be miserable for years. So the goal was, let me learn some of this for myself and take everyone else along with me on the journey. And now six years later, we've done over 500 episodes. We've helped hundreds of dentists buy practices. We've coached over 100 dentists through growth and and ownership. But at the time, like I was asking questions, I I was getting people like you guys on to say like, Hey, I have these questions. I know there's not always one right answer. Like I think, and this drives actually George and some of my partners nuts is that like, I kind of like conflicting opinions sometimes on the podcast, cause I want to hear a different perspective of like, there's no one right way to do everything. What's right for me, what's right for these circumstances. And so that's what the podcast was born out of. And I would love to get the bulletproof perspective on practice ownership. For you know, my generation and younger of dentists who are graduating now, who are looking for that first practice to buy or to start a practice. And we'll make it an assumption with a caveat at the beginning. And, and the assumption is this is an entrepreneurial owner focused dentist. There's all sorts of ways to do dentistry without being a practice owner. And they're all fantastic and they can be a great fit for everyone. And that's why the first season of our podcast was, is practice ownership right for me? And I don't know, have you guys ever seen anyone in your mastermind or any friends or or classmates who like went into practice ownership and then realized like, I'm miserable. I I
0: hate owning the
1: most. So Richard, that's the most common scenario in my experience. And it might be biased because maybe the people that come or to me or, or that are kind of drawn to me are the ones that are maybe dealing with something like that. So it might just be anecdotal. But I see a very common thread of like, this is what you should do. And whether it's the supply houses, the big companies, or the equipment manufacturers, but there's a narrative that says in order to be financially successful, in order to like be at the top, the apex of the food chain, practice ownership is a must. And I feel like that narrative is adversely shaping the level of fulfillment for practices because there are people that can be more economically and emotionally fulfilled as entrepreneurs or associate dentists uh, than um, owners. And I just don't know if people are equipped to know early on what's right for them. And that's the unfortunate thing. You have to go through it only to realize at a certain point that maybe this was all wrong. In fact, I have a call today at at five with somebody that's a classmate of mine thinking about joining the mastermind. And it's, it's just that I've done everything. I'm producing X, I'm doing, you know, this, I have everything right. And I'm not happy. And I think we oftentimes say this, the greatest on the greatest curse is to get everything you thought you wanted and still be unfulfilled. It's easy when you're not getting what you want and you're unfulfilled. It makes sense. But when you executed your plan, you arrived, quote unquote, and you're miserable, that's a dangerous place. And I think a lot of dentists are there personally.
0: Richard, what's funny about, completely agree with what Craig has said, is that what people are attracted to, whether it's the summit or the masterminds or the things we produce, is that they get the recipe. And I am more of a here's the steps one through 10, and I will break it down. And that's my superpower. Like I will show you how to do it all. And that's what people come. And then ultimately in this process, what we determine is they don't need this. You need more of what Craig's superpower is, which is breaking down your true why, your true vision, living authentically with yourself. And that's where honestly, some of the power takes place is that we go through these systematic processes first. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, are you really aligned with what you want to do here? And that's where Craig jumps in and really changes their lives and their trajectory. And then we kind of circumvent, we go back to some of the tactical.
1: We actually learned this and we're like, we helped people like, Hey, this is the five things I want to accomplish. Pete jumps right in, boom, here's your market. Here's everything. And then like seven months into the mastermind, we have a retreat somewhere and then they're in tears. So it was like, now we, that's why Peter came up with a pathway. And the first part of the pathway is me, know thyself. And so many years of my life, I'm 50 and Peter can probably feels the same way. We spent just trying to chase something that we didn't really want or feeling bad about something we couldn't achieve or feeling bad about something we did achieve. And we just want to save dentistry and we want to save the dentist from going through that ass kicking. Because you really that's the hard step is knowing what you really want. It's really abstract and difficult. Yeah. So I think most people just jump on and start achieving and doing what they want to do based on listening to a podcast or some expert said this is what you need to do.
2: Yeah. I I have a friend here who he did a a dental startup with a company that specialized in startups and (laughs) he, he got a few years into it and realized he hates running a business. He's like, I hate marketing. I hate managing a team. I hate hiring. I hate having the hard conversations. I'm not making good money here because of all of that. But the interesting thing is, is that piece of knowledge that he just gained by doing it is one of the most valuable pieces of information. Oh. Now for the rest of his career, he, he can knows. practice dentistry, not own, and feel great about it because he's done right. that and said, you know what, that sucked. I didn't even like that. Mm. Even if it was I was earning more, I wouldn't have cared. I was miserable. And so if possible, it would be great if someone can learn that before they get into ownership. Sometimes that is the price you have to pay for that piece of knowledge.
1: There there are specific tools, by the way, that can help with this. And I think what you're saying, Richard, is really, really a beautiful, knowing what you don't like is perhaps more valuable than knowing what you do like. If you ask someone, what do you want? It's sometimes hard, but you know, what makes you anxious? Oh God, I hate being around blah, 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 blah. So I have people that say, I want what you have. I say, well, why? Uh, Because of X, Y, and Z. They come visit my practice and they see there's like 55 people. And I am feeding off of everybody's energy because I'm an extrovert. I love talking with people. This person is an introvert. I'm like, how do you feel about being here? Wow, all these people really stress me out. I don't like to be around people. Can you just go into your office? And, and well, well, maybe then this might not be the right thing. Maybe you want something else. So not know, just knowing what you don't like, what stresses you out, what's makes you, what makes you anxious, that can help shape your ideal practice. And I think there's also one more thing that I want to touch on, and then I'll let let this kind of evolve. But I do believe there's a lot of shame in dentistry. And I believe that the I'm just an associate vibe and that that mantra is really damaging. People are telling you, if you don't own your own practice, you're not living up to the full extent of your profession. And I just want to call bullshit on that because I have associate doctors and and Peter does too that are in his ecosystem that make four, five, six, $700,000 Seven hundred thousand dollars a year, and the fact that you can decouple your salary and your long-term retirement asset is actually valuable. Hmm. If you're a seven hundred thousand dollar solo practice, you know dentist, your retirement strategy is your practice and your earnings are your practice. If you're an associate, you can take that money and invest it in, you know, shopping center, or real estate. You can be a business owner just not being an owner of the business you work in. I think that's a very powerful distinction. So we all know the way to get rich is by owning a piece of a business. You don't have to own the dental business. There's open, there's a lot of things for you to consider.
2: So Craig, when I lecture to dental students, there's three questions. And this is, I mean, this is why season one exists of should I be a practice owner? Because I didn't want to oversell practice ownership, nor shame people who decided this isn't for me and i wanted people to self filter. They listen to season 1 and they realize, okay, this whole podcast about practice ownership, uh it's not right for me. I'm not, I'm not going to keep listening. So, but but i i do have three questions that i ask and then a spectrum that that i help people kind of think about. I would love your feedback. I would love if you have anything to add to this. So the first question is am i willing to take risk? Do i have stomach for risk? Cuz a business uh, you know, you, you got to take on debt, you got to grow, you got to you got to make hard yeah. risky decisions that's part of it. And there there is an associated reward with that risk. There's also pain points and and times where you fail and you hit bumps and and you lose money. Um, So that's question number one. I'm I'm gonna go through them real quick. And then I want your guys feedback on all three. Um, The second is, am I willing to learn how to run a business? Am I willing to learn? I don't have to know everything about being a business owner. But am I excited about business ownership? Am I excited to learn that aspect of things? And then the last is, am i willing to work on being a leader so am i willing to work on managing people do i enjoy helping others and developing others and and overall if the answer is like i think so yes then there's this spectrum of clinical to entrepreneurial that that most dentists fall on and and how where do you fall you're like man i would i would love to do nothing but teeth and have the business run by someone else versus on the other end i love business and systems and growth and, and all these opportunities. And that informs kind of the type or the style of, of practice that, that you would lean towards. What are your thoughts on those three questions? Should I be asking something else? Should I add something? Um, you know, what would you change?
1: I have one suggestion. I love it. And the fact that you even do this, the fact that you're even offering some sort of sort of preliminary filter, you're just doing such a service to dentistry, Richard, that others are not because they're skipping that step. This is what you should do. And that was a generous of uh, uh, genesis of round one. The should, you should do this. And I think the should creates the shame and the problem. So kudos to you for asking that. One thing that I think, and I think those are great questions, is it's more about appetite than aptitude. So are you willing? Or do you have the grit? Are you hungry? And, and and at the end of the day, it's aptitude. Are you good at it? Are you the type of person, there's certain people that are just born to, to, not born, but they, they've created an identity where they want to step out in front. They're comfortable stepping out. It doesn't mean a, a macho man or a strong woman. It's just there's all different sorts of leadership styles. But some people, it just violates their, their, their core belief about who they are. So if they're willing, but they're not able, that's hard. And they'll, be, they'll, they'll feel a lot of shame around it. I can't lead a team. I feel really bad about it. They'll feel like they're letting their team down. When in actuality, they're probably great leaders, but they just don't feel like they are. So I think not just the appetite, but the aptitude. Are you the type of person that usually takes risks? Not are you willing? Because, you know, Peter was, you know, extreme kiteboarding before he ever opened up his first business. It's not, he's just a risky guy. Um, Are you, are you the type of person that loves to learn? You know, Not just willing, but are you the type of person that like dives deep or getting into crypto, all these different things? And then are you the type of person who oftentimes leads in situations when the shit hits the fan? Are you the guy, the gal that says, hey guys, come follow me. So it's not just appetite, it's aptitude. And I think that is is great. And there's no better predictor of the future than your past. I love so it. If you're those types of people in the past, then you're probably gonna be that person in the future. Go ahead, go I just ahead. knew one thing is I was willing and ready to make less money and do what I wanted to do. I had a, I had something in me I had to express and I was willing to make far less money and fail just to say I did it. So it wasn't a willingness. It was a must. It wasn't mm. a should. It was a must for me.
0: We talk about goals, Richard, and we talk about this a lot. I love the, the prep questions that you give people because it makes you sit and ponder, right? And you have to start being authentic with what, it, what you're talking about. My gravitational pull with being an owner and a multiple owner was so strong that to Craig's point, I didn't care what it, I was burning the boats left and right. Cause I didn't care what it looked like. Cause I knew, you know, I, I always say this, I got one ticket on this planet. This is what I was born to do and I'm going to do it. It would come hell or high water. So my pull was, no one was pushing me along the path of, I was an associate first actually for a very prestigious practice, doing pretty well here in Atlanta. But my pull was so strong that I wanted to get out of that safety net, net, a nest and, um, and go towards, towards ownership. Um, but I knew those questions would be, you know, I answered those questions for myself because I just knew I was like, I'm never going to be happy being second chief. And I think I said that to her, actually, mm. my, my employer at the time, I was like, I'm never going to be a good second general. I'm just going to be honest with you. Cause I knew myself at that point, you know, well, I'm not going to be a good, I'm, you don't, I don't take commands. Well, as a matter of fact, we go through like these, and these, these, it's called culture index, Richard, and we help our masterminders learn like kind of who they are and what kind of person they are and like through examples. And when they did mine, they, he actually said, he's like, have you ever had a job? Because you're he's unemployed,
1: he's unemployable. <laughs> right?" And, and so and by the way, I am as well, like my leadership yeah. tendencies, like we, it's crazy. I'm a little bit more hireable than Peter, but it's like in, <laughs> innate in our, in our, in our DNA.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and
2: knowing that about yourself versus like, I, I was in the army for six years. I had to take mm-hmm. orders, do what other people said, go other places, like, i i'm a little bit more malleable and and so like i compared to some of my other partners some of my other partners would probably george and others fall under that category of un unhirable in terms of not craig, having I, control of your destiny
0: i've got something to add to craig you probably didn't never knew to, to richard's military thing you were kicked out of the army i, I joined <laughs> the i joined i was commissioned as in the, in the air force i had an air what? force dental scholarship Air Force Dental Scholarship. They paid for all of my schooling up to a certain point. Of what point I realized, I can't give people, I can't give the military four years because I want to do something different than what it is. So I actually got commissioned and got an honorable discharge because because of my CO at the time. I I had a heart to heart with him. I said, dude, I don't think I can do it. I want to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, you know what? Maybe the military is not right for you. But my dad, you know, my family comes from the military. My dad was a Navy officer, right? And so- um, so little, little tidbit, Craig, I don't even know if you ever knew that, that I was actually, I was actually a captain commissioned as a captain in the air force before I was a dentist. Um,
1: right. that's amazing. <laughs> I didn't understand your name I, A captain. That'd be cool.
0: The funny thing is like they were paying for all this school. And then he said, all right, no big deal. No big deal. And being so naive and not understanding how the process worked, I was like, all right, well, they haven't asked for their money back. That's pretty cool. They paid for all the school. <laughs> like no one said anything about it. And so my dumb ass is moving all along. My first. Tax refund, by the way. I was expecting like forty thousand dollars. I got nothing <laughs> back. Yeah. They they remembered that money, by the way. I thought like I was yeah, like, good. Oh, the that government was, forgot. They forgot about money.
1: me. <laughs> Go get that money.
0: They got that money. That's for sure. So I paid it all back. um But anyway, sorry, Richard. I just thought that was an interesting little uh, little sidebar. That's hilarious. No,
2: and the, and the government does not forget. um I I definitely am am gonna steal that the appetite versus attitude versus aptitude and and. If that's on my slides, there will be attribution, but but I, I will now uh, I <laughs> yeah, to code posting. Craig
1: Spodak yes. on uh,
2: Amazon. I love it. Um so with that, um I also think there's a, a a third category, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently and realizing recently. We we teach this spectrum of like clinical to non-clinical and a bunch of practice models that fall along that spectrum. Um I think there's also another outlier that the three of us might fall on, which is the serial entrepreneur who has to constantly be building something or or teaching or working towards something like the true visionary that just can't sit still. And it's not that like enough is never enough. It's just fun to build things. It's fun to have a vision. It's fun to, and that's the dentist who, you know, builds up to four and moves to, sells and moves to another state and does it all over again. And, and just like then starts a mastermind or, you know, does X, Y, and Z. And I've realized that I'm in that space. So I just want to continually have the opportunity to help others innovate, be an entrepreneur and, and have continual opportunities. And and that's where I've settled is like, okay, that's the kind of dentist I am is is I need to be able to continue to do new things. Um, and that's hard to do in, in a single practice that you're not changing or growing or, or any of that. Um, what are where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Does that resonate with either of you? Um, Does that sound crazy? How many of the mastermind members that you guys run into also fall into that category?
0: I that totally resonates with us. You know, I call it kind of being a, a shark and a shark, you know, that has to keep moving to put that water through its gills or else it does doesn't do so hot. And so right. And so you're talking about just constantly having progress constantly building you are a builder, quote unquote, Richard, right? You want to build things and that that's where your flow is your happiness state is. And same with me. Like I like building and creating, same with Craig. That's why he built that, you know, his, his building. It was, it was, it was a a joy. It was a passion of his, um, going to the masterminders. I would say that I think some it's rarer than you think is where I'm going to, is where I'm going to go. Wouldn't you agree, Craig?
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, narrative of I'm a builder and I want to do this. I want to do that is fairly common, but the actual people who do it is, far less i see that i think there's
0: it's know. a pervasive problem in dentistry richard in my opinion it's this cut and paste narrative that we that mm. we hear someone say like well i have a multiple practice owner or i'm you know i do two million dollars a year or, I, and it's like i want that to cut and paste and they skip the step of the bullet you know we call it bulletproof pathway they skip the vision and the authenticity where you're working through like do you really want that is mm. more money yeah. more responsibility more more risk going to make you happier right? And at the it's end of the amazing. day, that's the it's only amazing. KPI that matters, right? Is the happiness KPI. Yeah. And if you're living inauthentically, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter how many practices you own. It doesn't matter how many people you're leading. If that's not what makes you happy, like you're all your KPIs are out
1: the window. Totally. Yeah. So that's a very common conversation. The most common conversation is, Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm listening to your stuff and." And this is what i'm doing and and what's the plan the plan is usually the common conversation is i'm gonna get to blank i'm gonna sell and it's usually a younger guy it's not a 60 year old guy it's a 30 something and i'm like okay and then what and then it's always a blank stare what do you mean i've sold (laughs) like what are you talking about I'm like well you know you have this money You you, you know you have to and peter and i say this all the time when you exit your business you have to take your money and invest in another business. You can't put your money under the mattress. It's losing 15% per year or whatever the CPI mm-hmm. is. Well, That's
0: technically not, doing.
1: Craig. Okay, technically not. But I'm just saying you have a responsibility now to invest in another business. And now you're investing in a business that you may know nothing about. But uh, one thing that and I- you
0: sure as shit don't have control over that money right. like you used to, right? right? You don't have control of Facebook stock or Amazon stock. People think it's a, it's a passive investment. But that is a great distinction, Craig. When you brought that up and you said- you're gonna always be invested in a business. It just might not be yours, right? Unless you expect you to have yield. Live,
1: if you can live in your investment, you can literally walk around and touch the things in your investment. Try to do that. Hey, hey, Bezos, I want to just come in and see see how things are going. You know, at the court, can I sit in a board meeting? You can't do that, right? You know, so as a private investor, you're you're an investor in your business. You can literally live in it. You can make changes if that's right for you. But one thing I want to just add to what you said is that if you are a person who's a builder let's just back up to 35000 feet you're not just a dentist richard peter we're not just dentists we're multifaceted builders so i am getting a lot of fulfillment and pride out of building other things so i bought a shopping center i get to pick the colors i'm you know doing the bulletproof thing i have a cattle ranch that i know nothing about i'm, I'm <laughs> building there and i'm trying to figure out how to improve the pastures so so the idea that we label ourselves we get so myopic dentistry is very myopic you know our successes and failures are in micromillimeters literally life under loops. We tend to treat our entire life like life under loops. And you're not just the dentist, you can be a builder, you could be an associate or have a single doctor practice, or you could work three days a week and then do all the other stuff. So you can fulfill your but that's why it's the most
0: beautiful profession in the world, Richard, and we say this all the time, right? Is that dentistry can be whatever you want, at, you know, meaning that if, if you are that's an entrepreneur, yeah. It gives you so many options, right? It gives you, if you want to be this path, okay, no problem. Here's your way to do it. If you want to be an associate and make a bunch of money, like Craig was saying, or just do dentistry. Perfect. If you want to be entrepreneurial, perfect, choose your own adventure career. So it's the greatest and I, and profession think- on earth. And we make such big impact with patients' lives and teams that it's like, I think it's it's the most beautiful profession on this planet.
1: I agree. I love it. And I think the the stress comes from cramming our multifaceted identities into the top three choices that are widely discussed in dentistry. So you have to sacrifice on something. So I think you, we got to really back up a lay and realize there's literally 1000s of practice modalities, 1000s. And you can fit you can make and if it doesn't exist, make it make totally. the one you like, Richard, well, I want
0: to ask you a question. And go for it. you because you had taught we, before we hit record, we were having some good conversations. And I was like, you know, and you actually brought up this topic and it's like, you've been doing this for six years now, 500 episodes, which is just daunting. Like I can't mm-hmm. imagine that we obviously don't produce as much topics, as much content as shared practices on our end. But you had said, you'd be nice to talk about it now from the context of what I wish I had known when sure. I had started. And I'd love to hear that. Cause I think that's where the value, that's where the rubber is going to meet the road for someone listening to this right now. Our listeners, your listeners, whoever it may be is, is the wisdom That's been gained by you having such accountability in this, in this process, right? You, you set out learning, even though you didn't have a practice, but you made, you were like, look, I'm going to go public with this knowledge, which made you like a student times 10, so to speak, because you knew that you were going to have to then amplify this learning to your, to people that were listening to you. So it made you like, just, it was, it's, I I don't know if that was a intention of yours, but I was thinking to myself, like, what accountability I mean that's an amazing accountability thing to do.
2: Oh, um, absolutely! That I mean that's how that is my learning style. Is that if I can turn around and summarize this and teach it to my you know classmate in dental school, th- that's how I learn. I can't process it any other way. So that, probably the only way I could have learned all this, learn it at a depth. And there's a number of what I wish I would have known. I think the first is that it's okay to get your vision wrong. And in dental school, I remember sitting our only practice management lecture, thinking, I like multi-specialty dentistry you know I, I had done some surgery and I liked that I liked root canals I liked I thought I liked everything and so I was like maybe I'll kind of do some of the specialty work between three practices but I'll do that when my kids are teenagers because then they'll be older and travel around between those three practices and 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 do some of the more like quote unquote fun stuff and that was my vision and that was why I did the two-year aegD in the Army I did a residency got surgical training, got to do implants and wisdom teeth and molar root canal under a microscope, which I have two microscopes in my basement. If any of your listeners uh, want to buy <laughs> a microscope the Global, the four steps are great. Can't sell them. Um, are they next
1: door to your E4D by any chance? There, uh, there's <laughs> a form two
2: down there. I thought that's what I wanted to do. So I did the two year AEGD. I ended up, Through a weird set of circumstances buying three practices while i was still in the army In in my last two years of the army here in indiana i i did medical recruiting for my last two years in the army to get home to indiana sooner and bought three practices and started to live this vision of traveling around between these offices and i realized that i hated it i hated it because there's not all the equipment you need they're not used to scheduling these specialty procedures it's a huge disruption to the practice you don't get really efficient And you can't follow up super well with these patients after these you know, more complex procedures. And as time went on, I was just like, man, maybe my vision kind of was not what I thought it was going to be. And I actually came to the point where I pivoted away and I had bought those practices with some partners and I walked away from my equity. But because we had bought right, we bought practices that were good cash flowing practices. There was plenty of meat on the bone and me walking away was a great thing for them. It was a great thing for me. And and it worked out because we had bought right in the first place. And so wait, wait, when you say walk away, good for
0: you by the way. I want to make sure I understand this. You mean you walk away, you got bought out, or you said here's my equity, you can have it.
2: Here, here is my equity and they refinanced me off the debt. You know, it's like we we, we were a year, we were 18 months into paying down the debt. And so I technically had some differential there between um you know what had been paid down and and what we had bought together. Um, and I walked away. I walked away from that because it wasn't my vision. All three
1: and- of them? Good for All you. Three. Good for you. And <sighs> by the way, Rich, you you got lucky and made money. But let's just say that you were going to lose money. You know, there's three currencies in life. We always say emotion, time, and money. Money's replenishable. Your emotion and time might not be. Let's just say the money was so costly to you. You said, you know what? I'm just going to frickin' grind this out for 15 or 10 years. And the cost to you and your family are huge. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm so happy you're talking about this. We're gonna get it wrong a lot. And you, I'm gonna get it wrong soon again, and you're gonna get it wrong, and it never stops. You'll be you know, 85, God willing, and still learning. That's the beauty about the human experience. There's no shame. We're refining it constantly. I think the only thing I could say looking back is have more grace for myself. Number one, like it, I fucked, you know, I screwed up, no big deal. And then number two, when you realize you screwed up, let your pride go and just pivot. I would say I had a multi specialty idea. It's going to just be like dental school. I'm going to hire all specialists. So it was literally a pyramid where the whole practice exists to support the specialist. As we all know, specialists are better people than general dentists and they're deserving of higher percentages <laughs> of revenue into perpetuity. <laughs> because you spent those couple of years so for the rest of your life you're ordained to get more percentage than the gpa <laughs> we all know that that's a rule written in you, the god
2: you would them. do well in the army because that's how it works in the army they are they're
1: the gods of the, the, the hierarchy army. Yeah. right they're yeah. god so they'll be treated as my such god. and for the rest of the life of my business it will make no money and i literally stayed <laughs> in that for a long time i it was my top line was astronomically large and i, pimped, I Promoted that to everybody, but the bottom line was anemic, and it took a long time. And that was well into my 40s that I was still doing that. So I think get the information, get over your ego, and pivot. And I think that's just going to—it's a cycle. It keeps happening and happening, and just do it till you get it right.
2: And the key is if you—and this is this is this is the part of shared practices that I want to make sure we've done a good job of which is if you've bought right you will always have options to pivot if you've done the right startup if you've if you've done this well but if you buy a an awful practice to pivot is even more painful because it will cost you money you will have to walk away from things it's i still
0: and it's love still where you're talking about this pause here for a second yeah. buddy, if you will not mind because i love how he said this like yes it is for quote what is your appetite for risk but i believe if you do the proper amount of due diligence which i believe that that's what you teach in, in your kind of in your curriculum richard is that it's an asymmetric risk it's an asymmetric return potentially meaning that your downside is somewhat limited is somewhat limited
1: it's um, totally limited by the way
0: yeah okay so, all right totally so limited i want to
1: i want to go a fur- layer further let's see I didn't what finish. totally so go ahead
0: <laughs> but i just want to finish the whole the, the whole thought on that asymmetry right but your upside is 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 unlimited right and and it's kind of like we talk about these asymmetry in, in in crypto right like where's the floor but i know my my upside could be potential with i mean unlimited with bitcoin it's the same kind of thing if you do the proper amount of research proper amount of due diligence um then then you and if you're buying it kind of on the floor if you will right buying a practice on the floor then then your risk is definitely mitigated sorry Greg, go ahead now.
1: And, and i think that the, the greatest thing to remember and it's one of the things that's always powered me through challenging times is as a dentist, as a licensed dentist, you're truly bulletproof. Pick a spot anywhere in the United States that you like, and you mm-hmm. can actually make a living there. No one can repo your dental education. When you are a restaurateur and you fail mm. and you lose everything, the chances of you becoming en- convincing another group of investors to become <laughs> another restaurateur are very, very small. And the second failed restaurant is even smaller. So, so we ha- have the luxury of having a skill that no one can take from us. Right. In fact, it might even be an internationally available. I, I can't speak to the international laws, but take a place in Europe even. Right? you know, I'd love to live in coastal Italy. I'm sure they would love an American trained dentist. You have the world as your oyster. So even if you bought totally wrong, you're stuck, you're in debt, blah, blah, blah. There's so many pivot points for you.
2: You're still a dentist you're still a dentist yeah.
1: it's amazing and if yeah. you knew that it's like it's like that question what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail, couldn't fail. You know, yeah you know what i mean and that's what it's like to be a licensed dentist what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail your worst case scenario is being an associate in like coastal california or wherever wherever you want to live maybe not california for people anywhere you, you have yeah. that ability
2: <laughs> yeah no uh, and and so so then can we arm people with enough information to make them dangerous? And that was season two of acquisitions. How do I find the right practice by right and get it to the point where you're like looking at the numbers, I think this is it. I think there's growth potential here. I think this fits my vision. I think this practice is going to be successful, but I still want to do my due diligence. And for a while, we were we were having uh, listeners send us PLs and it was. George and a, and a team of, uh, trained interns, we that. were helping people evaluate practices and we did hundreds of practices like this. And George, George was doing this since like D2 year, he was evaluating practices and he was nailing the potential and the upside and the growth. Cause he's, he can see the matrix. Not everyone yeah. can see the matrix in terms of the numbers and the data. Um, and so then how could we make that more accessible? He's a polymath.
0: And, you know that Richard? Is he really? He like, us, yeah. Well, he told us he was a polymath okay i i actually didn't know this about you i know
1: is, can you give is, is do you remember that curiosity? word okay. yeah i think rain man was right
0: no i don't think so okay.
1: Okay. but i think
0: polymath someone is just a genius at numbers kind of thing um, he, he uh, definitely
1: is is a, he definitely a genius, is a genius at, at,
0: at analytical definitely stuff for sure. um sorry richard i cut you off i was i was
2: well for a while we would have people who were sending us pr- uh, like practice evaluations and we like we told them, hey, we're not, we're not doing free practice evaluations. We don't have this <laughs> as a service. Please stop sending us P&Ls. Um, But now we're on the back end where with our coaching department, we now have an accountant. We have our head of coaching. We we can help people evaluate practices. But the goal was get people enough information that they're dangerous, where they can say Make lemon, way, lemon, lemon, lemon. Fantastic, let's, let's right. do the due diligence on this one. And that's the amount of free knowledge that it's like, let's just put this out there. Let's talk, you know, Eight episodes on, on profit and loss statements as a podcast, which is kind of an awful idea. Like, that is a really poor idea of audio content because talking about PL seems like the most boring thing in the world. But if they have that appetite that you were talking about earlier, Craig, then that's what they want. This is the gap of knowledge. That's the gap that I had. It was like, I don't understand looking at the numbers of a practice, if it's a good deal or not. um I need someone to help me. So we did enough episodes and now it's like okay now i now i can read pnls and evaluate potential practices and now we have a team that helps people do that but that's the practice the evaluation
0: of- as a service you guys have that
2: we do yep so we do um buyers rep uh due diligence so we'll help evaluate the practice we've got a legal team to help with well okay we are not licensed lawyers uh in in uh, any states at this point but we have some lawyers that we have preferential arrangements with that can help people do the asset purchase agreements and all of that at some point we would love to in-house that fully and we're working in that direction but we're not there yet Um, that's cool and and so yeah so now we can offer that but for a while it was it was behind the scenes we were doing all of that but the key is what you guys were talking about earlier is if you can pair this with your vision so the practice evaluation in a silo tells Mm. you yes this is a good or a bad asset but if you can then say what do I actually want in life? What's the practice dream? What's the vision? What's the lifestyle? And we can match that with here's, here's the steps. Here's the steps. Here's the yep. practice models. And these are the types of practices you would buy to grow into that. Um, that's where it gets really fun. And that that's the exciting part. That's what we love. To yeah. Hear. So
1: I think, I think it's cool that you say that too. And, and not everything that can be, not everything that counts can be measured. And if you're, the type of person that really likes to invest in team and your leadership, I would rather have a less performing asset with a great culture than a high performing asset with a toxic culture. So I think it's really, I think we all as dentists overstep all that when choosing an associate or when choosing a practice, we just assume it's going to be just to our liking. You know, how many, I have so many masterminders that have hired an associate and they've never really understood the philosophy of dentistry. And then in a year or two, you start to see it. And then when they go because there's a break in the philosophy or values of the way people treat um it's hard to repair that so we like in in our office and through bulletproof we have this associate um diagnostic test to just calibrate where people are it's Mm. so interesting to sit side by side with an associate what do you see here and they see something totally different than you it's going to be a big wake-up call so for those looking for um practices to acquire be a fly on the wall. You'll see so much, and you may have a great buy that's actually going to turn around and be bite you in the butt. And and that's
2: culture is probably one of the hardest things to accurately assess before you buy the practice, like of everything, because it's it's one of those things where uh, some quantum law where you can't observe something without changing it with an acquisition. If you observe the culture and say, hey, we're buying the practice, like the culture goes in disarray because everyone's all
1: like worried and stressed and all these things. People hate change. They do. Yeah, but the the Google reviews and the word cloud will give you it. When you see team mentioned seven and eight times and treat you like family, those are the key words of great culture. Absolutely. You know, when when the patients will identify your practice. If you don't know what your practice stands for and you're confused about who you are in in the marketplace, go look at your Google reviews and look at the word cloud and you'll see what you really are. And that might actually help you with your mission and vision statements. You may think your service is a smile or thirty minutes or less, but really, it's about team, family values, treating you like great, you know, great customer service, blah blah blah.
2: That that's the 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 stuff that um, culture. We did a whole season on because the the issue was we convinced people of practice ownership was was financially worth it. Hopefully, they filtered themselves if if they were right for practice ownership. Then we taught them how to buy a practice. And then we're like, crap, we better arm them with the tools to be successful. And so we did a whole season on culture and leadership. And, and so my my dad, he has he got his master's in organizational behavior. He's taught crucial conversations like with vital smarts and, and taught executives and done all that. So him and I did like a, a series of, of six or seven episodes about how to have difficult conversations, how to establish these values. Alex Sharp, Sharp Family Dentistry. He's one of the partners in, in our group right now. He he has nailed this. He has got culture. He's come to the summit
0: three times now. He's been he's been there a lot. Alex is awesome.
2: Alex has spent years learning Mm. this, living and breathing this, putting in the hard work. Yeah. And and so it's hard investing in culture in your team is really hard because you have to live it, you have to put the time in, you have to get ooey gooey sometimes, you have to deal with all the drama. It's all the BS. special
0: sauce, Richard, that no one yeah. that you can't teach and there's not a process for it and it's not a follow this one through four steps. It is yep. an amalgamation of a lot of things, right? It's not put this in and you're you're gonna have culture. It's so much. <laughs> well so it's actually
1: much. just it's you it, as the leader or you know it's owner you the practice team, yes. you have to evolve yourself to a point whether that means evolve and extract yourself or, you know, grow people, but it's the it's the true single ingredient that cannot ever be faked or gamed or hacked. And everyone knows it. And that's why Google Spry spends hundreds of millions of dollars trying to decipher what's real and what's not. And that's why they have an elaborate algorithm to figure out, is this a real organization? It's a bunch of bullshit. 20 years ago, it's the guy with the most amount of bucks could actually be the best now you have an advertisement then you go to social then you go to the review then you go to instagram it's really hard to fake it now yeah
2: no absolutely um can i share with you i, w- I would love your guys's thoughts on like two of the cores we, we teach a two-day course on practice acquisition analytics based mm-hmm. pre-ownership and and like two takeaways that if a dental student or young dentist is listening to could really like sink their teeth into um and i would love your thoughts on this so The first is, is that a two hygienist single doctor practice is so much more everything profitable, sustainable, uh, uh, simple than a one doctor, one hygienist, one assistant practice that like three team member and then the front desk person, the one, one, one is what we call it. Um, That is such a small business that it is harder to grow a $400,000 into an $800,000 practice than it is to take an $800,000 practice with two hygienists, two assistants, two front desk team members, and grow that into a $1.2 or $1.5 million practice. Have have you guys seen that? And and I, I see the real estate as one of the initial limiting factors. You buy a practice with three chairs, you have put a pretty hard ceiling on your growth at that location without a big transitional painful move somewhere in there. So, and, and so many dentists do that. They say, I want to buy the smallest, lowest uh, risk practice. I want to,
0: I want to comment on this. If I, I, I want to hear your thoughts because I hear this me. a lot, right? So you are right. Dentist. First off, I agree with the ratio one to two. I think one to one is too anemic. And I think one to three, all you're doing is hygiene checks all day long. Yeah. Okay. So, but temporarily one to three is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll, touch back on that later if, if we need but so many times, Craig and I see, we see. well, I'm building out a six operatory practice, but I'm only, pl- a, a plumb six, but I'm only, I'm only going to build out three, mm. right? And you're thinking to yourself, like, you're planning for, like, and I understand that finances are stuff, but a lot of the expenses in the plumbing and the, and the things like that, by the time you put in a chair and put some cabinets in, is it really that much more money? Right? So you're almost like bottlenecking yourself psychologically in the beginning, in my opinion. Again, this goes back to know your why and know who you yeah. are first. But I've never heard a dentist in all of my career say this. I should have gone smaller. <laughs> I should have. I shouldn't have been so bold. I've never I, I
1: have. I have heard that, Peter. Okay, I, I, that. I was
0: just telling you my personal. I've never yeah. heard someone say I should. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have built such a big office. I've never heard that. You. You might have that, that contest. Now, I have people all the time, Richard, saying I have a capacity issue.
1: And again, I can't just grow because I, I only I built for or...
0: four. I thought I wanted yeah. four and I can't grow now because now I have to move out of this location or out of this whatever, because I because I want we're busting at the seams is what what I hear personally more than that. Greg, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So here here, while you were speaking, Richard, I was like, wow, obviously, duh, one doctor two hygiene makes sense. And I'm like, wait, I'm answering from my unique circumstance. And again, I would ask that doctor that asked me one in one or one and two, what do you want to do? And I, and I think this is important because that doctor could say, well, I'm actually, I've just completed a residency and my thing is all on four and I love doing surgery to prosthetics or I do direct resin veneers. And I, I, this is what I love doing. Different answer for those different types of people. So I think that they're they're. they're I know practices that actually don't have hygiene. Mm. I don't, that's not mm. my specific area. Cause for me and Peter, holy smokes, hygiene's a lifeblood. lifeblood. That's the yeah. best thing ever. It's your but at that is what I say. That's your right? at-bats, but they're, they're spending seven, $800 per acquisition in their marketing and they're doing well and they're doing what they like. And I, that's a cool model too. So I think we, when we answer it's a, a cool model like until now, you have a
0: recession though, Craig, remember I had that model in 2008 yeah. and I got my ass kicked. Not yeah, the model but, without a hygienist, but like being very boutique and specialized is a beautiful thing in a bull market. When you start getting into where the the, the economy is potentially a little bit fragmented and, and who knows what's going to happen, people get scared. And so that is a that is a I, I would not but, advise people but, to do that.
1: Right. But speaking to the person like me. Who is willing to make less money to achieve my vision? You couldn't convince me of that. So, like, okay. so I, I just, i'll it's fine, and I just want to be the counterpoint to saying, hey, a question like that for me is after steps one through four or something like that. But yeah, sure. for me, duh, one and two, of course, one and one, no chance. Right. I mean, thank God, same day dentistry when you have an active hygiene practice is yeah. a, a miracle, as amazing.
2: Well, and and with that, if you then take that ratio of two to one hygienist to, to dentist. And you look at the real estate and and what we want to avoid is these no man land. So like everything that you can do with one hygienist and one doctor, you could probably do all of those same things if you also had two hygienists, May, maybe not. And if you're going to do all on four all day, like we have a denture and implant group and we've just opened five denture and implant offices that have zero hygienists and have a lab tech and you never have to check hygiene. But th- the flip side of that is if even if you want to do a lot of specialty stuff, having two hygienists, your office is going to have more at-bats, more profitability, but you take that ratio and, and you look at four chairs. So two for the hygienists, two for the doctor, and then multiply that out. If you are thinking you want to be a two-doctor practice, it'd be really nice if each doctor could have two hygienists and two chairs to work out of. And so if you buy a five-op practice, and you think you're going to be a two doctor practice, you're setting yourself up for like zero elbow room and just frustration and you're, you're bottlenecking your own growth. So knowing ahead of time, man, do do I want to be the solo? This is the me show. I'm going to I'm going to crush this. Just me. No one else. Then great. Five operatories, maybe six operatories. You have plenty of room. But if you're thinking, man, I'd love to grow and have another doctor here, have some more time. Christine's chasing the pug here in the background for any of our video viewers. Uh <laughs> um, like that news reporter. I remember that
0: that meme. Yeah, was
1: them the, the kid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You gotta um, own that, by the way. You have to just bring this kid in at that point. But anyway, oh, sorry, I I should a in. Yeah. yeah. Uh but
2: uh at that point, you 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 can put yourselves in these places where the real estate ends up being a rate limiter. So I would say three or two operatories is one of those kind of no man's land of like, you might as well just have four or five and have two hygienists. Or um, six, five, six operatories and you're trying to do two doctors, you'd be so much better off if you had the seventh or the eighth. And, and knowing that before you ever buy a practice at least informs what you're buying. That's the kind of information we're giving people before they've ever bought or started. What
0: practice size would you, th- that you guys evaluate practices for acquisition? What do you think is the most valuable size? So I'm going to flip your question, right? Yep. To looking at it from an investor standpoint, going backwards, because the value is, is only what someone's willing to pay, right? So what do you think is the magic sauce or magic size for uh, the right size for investing or buying a practice?
2: So it would be a ready to grow two doctor practice that has, been a two doctor practice and kind of contracted, so it has the facilities of a two doctor practice, so eight ops, ops pool, kind of thing, eight ops, seven yep. or eight ops, yep. with one doctor who, like, you know, took over for this other doctor as yep. as they retired. And there's just like 5,000 inactive patients, um, to, to pull on, like, <laughs> that, that is the dream, 5,000 inactives. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you've got you've got four thousand active, and you know, there's just a ton okay. of
0: patience on the. Craig, books. You were gonna say something before I before I flipped it back onto the investor side.
1: Yes. Yeah, I just want I just want to adjust the elephant in the room, and I'm uh, unlike Peter. I go down rabbit holes in dental chat rooms on Facebook, and there's a there's a very consistent narrative, at least in my experience, of you know, let's go hygiene free, hygienists or per oh. Madonna, blah blah blah. It's really destructive. And I think of all the things that we're doing, Peter and I, especially the Bulletproof Mastermind, is the Bulletproof Hygiene segment that we've developed. Mm. Um, so many years ago, my top hygienist went to go see Peter's top hygienist because she was doing $500,000 per year. Mm. And at that time, it was like the, the four minute mile. It's like, it's impossible. Your legs will break before you do it. And then of course, as soon as someone breaks that record, everybody else can do it. So what we've been able to do is take these hygienists, and we have several now that are doing three, four, five hundred thousand $500,000 a year. Wow. Uh, in, in collections because we created a Bulletproof program to incentivize them and make it good for the practice, good for them and good for everyone else. And don't ever worry, I think, and this needs to be said, about a hygienist uh, making X dollars per hour, because if they're actually being paid 33% or less than the collected dollars, I don't care You're winning. if it's, You're winning. it's or a or 70 win. or 80. Yep, and triple Dennis, win. you need to understand that don't let that bother you it's winning for you. I'd rather a, a $27 an hour hygienist that produces $400 per day or $300 per day is very expensive. Richard, you, you probably
0: know. see what Craig is talking about, right? You get on, I don't get on Facebook for that, that whole reason of that, but you probably see like people oh, will actually time. break down, but, well, the hygienist is making too much right now without the context of well, what are, are they collecting? What are they collecting well, for you? And, and we go even
2: more extreme. We are so hygiene led in practice growth that what happens is people don't hire their next hygienist that they need to grow. Right. And, and this is the transition that we specialize in is the one to two doctor growth, because there's so many pain points. If you mm. get stuck in this like three hygienist, no man's land area and you, you're not purposeful, you need open hygiene capacity to grow, which means you need to pay a hygienist to sit with an open, empty schedule. Sometime. Yes. And if you're not doing that, you have, Cut your marketing growth, everything off at the knees because you can't get patients in. But that means you are paying a hygienist to do nothing some of the time, and some people cannot stand that in principle. It's an
0: investment, and that's what people understand: is you're yeah, going to like, lose, just
1: like your pano though. Just like you're your going to yeah, I mean, lose in the beginning. Yeah, probably
0: you're going to lose in the beginning because it's an investment yeah. until you can get that person busy. Right? It's not just bolt and by the on way, more when, revenue.
1: When you're booked out six weeks, I know it's a badge that everyone loves to rock. But that's not good for your business. No. so if you want if you have a hybrid PPO practice, meaning you have PPO and you are fee for service, but you're seven, eight, nine, ten weeks booked out, those fee for service patients are not going to wait. I always say that practices, PPO practice practices grow fast, like weeds. Yeah. and fee for service practices are like growing tomatoes, you know, the tomatoes take time, but the weeds will choke it out. You've got to weed your practice. And that means that there's a slow trajectory that when you start getting really booked up, you may want to look at dropping one of the lower paying PPOs slowly and methodically, because if you're booked out and you love it, you're going to stay booked out.
2: And and that's the, for us then where the metrics enters all of this is, okay, I want to be a productive solo, which is what we call a single doctor, two hygienists, bread and butter, profitable, predictable, simple. We can do that over and over. Or I want to be a a group practice, a two doctor practice, productive group um, where where we've got two doctors, we've got four hygienists, but you're buying the three op practice and you're saying you want to go to group. Right. You've created so many hurdles for yourself along the way. And then say that even if you do buy right, then there's that decision fatigue of the, the new owner who buys a practice, gets into practice ownership and they've heard all of these systems on podcasts on courses and seminars and they feel like they need to change everything deciding which change to introduce your practice when is the most important part of being a practice owner and without metrics and usually someone else helping you look at everything together it's really hard to, to objectively look at your business from the outside because it's so difficult and emotional from the inside you you see the personnel all of the the drama the what it feels like inside the practice It's hard to be a business owner when you are in the chair, in the operatory. And so that's where having someone else look at things with you, look at the metrics and then decide this is the bottleneck. This is the low hanging fruit based on your vision. If you want to go here, this is what we need to change this one metric. We're not going to focus on five things. We're not going to change 10 things in your practice over the next six months. We're going to change two things and we're not going to burn the team out. We're going to support them. We're going to reiterate this. Because that that is the hardest part is steering the ship of we know where we want to go, but can we avoid the culture burnout of just like, oh, n- new change, new thing from the doctor
0: or everyone quitting? Like, I agree what you're saying, yeah. right? It's, it's great to have a list of things, but people hate change. When you acquire a new team, right, When you acquire a new patient base. If you start, if you if you throw all the levers that exist to you all at once, it's chaos. And it's like, well, I wanted to change this. Why not do it now? So I like what you're saying. You want to titrate those things in. What is the thing right now that I can do this week that won't cause massive disturbance and I can do it and it's going to, and it's going to increase us 1%. It's going to make it 1% better, right? That's yeah. the goal. Keep yeah. going the 1%. Um, You know, and, and I do this when I have an acquisition, I have a big Trello board and it's like all the things that we want to eventually do. And you just start kind of ticking them off, right? You just kind of, you, you just start attacking them methodically, but it's definitely not all at once because the team that you're acquiring that you're actually paying good money for will have a mutiny. Yeah, probably. And now you're now, what did you, what did you buy? Yes, you bought patient charts and you bought patient and you bought goodwill, but you're more than likely going to have some attrition on that as well. And it might be good attrition, meaning it might not be the patients that you want anymore Yeah. that are not aligned with this new kind of direction of the practice, but, but make no bones about it. You are paying for that. So you just have to be okay with it, but you definitely don't want to lose the team because that is, you start losing the team. You watch how fast the patients leave because that's usually what they're coming for. Mm -hmm. It's not you. I know us dentists, we get romantic about the fact that it's the dentist that they're coming for. They don't give a crap about the dentist. I mean, they do, but it's really the hygienist, the front desk. There's more of a relationship with them.
1: Going back to culture. I mean, it all goes back, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. So, so how
2: do you, how do you steer a ship and increase culture over time? and not burn that culture as you take it in the direction that you want and, and uh, steer too hard and have too many pivots and too many changes. Um, But this, this is like, for us, this is the fun part of practice ownership is Mm -hmm. figuring out what you really want, figuring out which of these, you know, models, and, and, and you're right. There's a hundred models that you can do dentistry in. We've decided we've got our set of seven, you know, here's, here's the models that we think most of dentistry falls within that are predictable simple sustainable here's why we think these are this way there's other ways to do it too if you don't want to do any of these models that's totally fine but here's how the metrics can dictate the changes and the moves between these models and eventually you have to get to that point where you are fulfilled and happy and, and and doing the things that you want to be doing whether that's dentistry or something else or investing in other things um we want to get there together. And I think there's so much alignment between what you guys have built and what uh, we've learned and, and we've been helping people with. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I, I'm excited to come to your guys' next event. So, do you guys have like the 2023 dates yet, or are we still a little bit out from that?
0: I don't know if it's been set. I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that there has been, believe it or not, um, there's so many resorts that are so busy. So we are trying to find a defining where we're going to go location wise that can serve the most people. Right. Nice. And so we're actually looking at kind of in the Scottsdale area, just because that seems to be kind of a in down. Vegas. Omega and Vegas, right, and make it fun for the team. So we want our thing, at Richard, is we really have pivoted into it. First, our first couple ones was doctor, 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 and mm-hmm. now we're all about the team. And that's what our kind of masterminds do. It is the magic doesn't happen by you learning how to do X, Y, and Z. The magic happens by you bringing your team and spending time with power and proximity with these people and other teams, and then and start rowing the boat together. That's why we
1: have a ten times that's why we have the ten time guarantee. So if you don't produce ten times what you spent, we'll give you your money back because we know if the doctor goes alone Monday morning's all pumped up and no one was there. I and mean, the level of a team engagement, it's almost like send your team to the summit and don't go and then yes. get the hell out of yeah, the way. Really? So yes. like or send your team to the mastermind and don't go, but then get the hell out of the way because they're gonna yeah. learn how to we do it. We have
0: several summit. people, Richard, have several doctors who've joined the mastermind. Only for their their office manager, who we have a, a, a separate track for that, and their hygienist. and they don't come to the doctor one because they're like, I'm good, you know, I'm I'm really good. I really want. It, I'm doing it more for them. Is kind of what they say, and that's such a beautiful, selfless thing. Is to spend. It. It's a big investment, right? And then they make this big investment in the team, and then lo and behold, they're like, holy shit, this was amazing. But they didn't. They weren't even the ones that came to the, the, the mastermind, so
1: to speak. Yeah. But it's, it's it's it really two cool. parts: learn and get out of the way. If you learn <laughs> yeah. and block them, it's a problem too.
2: Well, mm-hmm. and that actually happened to us. So the funny thing is when, when I think George came on earlier, he talked about the difficulty in selling our in-person mm-hmm. events. We actually so- sold out all four of those events and posted and <laughs> full of, full <laughs> events. how did he not prospects. know this?
1: Yeah. And well, that was, that was the conversation right before uh, Richard stepped in as CEO, right? Or not? No, 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 no. no okay. we, it,
2: it was, it was a team effort. And uh, so we, we have our pre-ownership event, which is like the dental student pre-owner. I'm going to buy, I need to know how to find the right thing that fits my vision. Um, we have our analytics based practice management, which is our main, uh, flagship course for dentists who especially want to grow from one to two doctor, two doctor and beyond. Um, here are the, the, the metrics and, and the paths to grow and then build a team and a culture around that. And then the most surprising event for me was exactly what you just said. We got out of the way. We let our coaches and our, our head of coaching, Suzanne Rassi and our other coaches, they built the office the analytics based office management. So this was our office manager course. That was our best course, like hands down. I, you know, our other courses were our framework and I love them, but our coaches and Suzanne, they built a course for the office managers and it was all of the culture leadership systems that, that we're talking about and to see the office managers there. And I had to, I got to experience it with my office manager next to me taking the course together. I wasn't teaching it. And, uh, to see the light bulbs turn on and the, the gears turning, that's the most satisfying thing. And so we, despite George's, uh, you know, frustration with in-person events, we're, we're still doing them. So we've got October, November, December. We've got one of each of those, uh, the pre-owner and then the analytics based and the office manager one. And I, I just think the in-person, you can't replace that experience of when the light bulb goes off for those yeah. team members. And then exactly what you said, Craig, you just get out of the way.
1: Yeah. It's so hard to do. By the way, that getting out of yes. the way so yes. difficult.
2: No, and and when when the light bulb turns on, the team doesn't understand the light bulb that's turned on in your head, and and to trust them and to build them up as leaders, to give them the grace to make mistakes and uh, and really empower them. That's the challenge, and and that's the heart of of, of being a leader in a in a practice.
1: Um, one one thing I offer... want to say, it with, without getting to. Uh touchy-feely here it's a process of being a little bit kinder to yourself Mm. and then in turn you're kinder to other people when you're really demanding and hard on yourself high detail dental type people we're not only hard on ourselves we're hard on other people around them so it's kind of a full circle grace for yourself and grace for your people it doesn't happen without both
2: interesting I, i i never like put the dots together on they see if you're beating yourself up their stress levels of like, crap, what's he going to do to me? Is he going to say to me if I screw up? Um, So they're going to see that. I never even like connected that. I love that.
1: Yeah. Perfectionistic people hurt themselves and others around them. So it's a little bit of a, I didn't want to get too uh, touchy-feely, but I had to say that. So it's a, it's a good thing that to arrive at that point where you're kinder to yourself and kinder to others.
2: Well, well, you guys are still invited. I, I know we threw that out there. There was a conflict. We, you know, we'll talk afterwards. But uh, yeah, I'd like to
0: see when. Do, how does someone find like your 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 uh, your dates on that?
2: Yeah. So events.sharedpractices.com. You can go to sharedpractices.com and click on the events, um, and and we've got those all on there. And we'd love to see people out there, whether they're dental students, pre-owners, office managers, uh, practices who are trying to figure out, okay, what kind of practice do we want to be. Um, we'd love for you to be there. Yeah. I think yeah, there's, there's so much synergy
0: with, you know, it's funny how we we started this, this collaboration with shared practices and Bulletproof is like this, like boxing match, you know, so to speak, <laughs> like us versus them. And it really is. There's so much synergy because I think that where you guys were kind of the the students and the younger generation of dentists and the people who are trying to figure out who they, what they want to do and learn. I think you guys fill that niche. And then I think we were kind of known as more of like the guys who have been there done well, you you have two, so I don't want to say that. No, I, more I, the I literally entrepreneurial, this off, like big, being, big stuff, right? So it's more I didn't of the know
2: stuff at the beginning, yeah,
0: yeah. So I think there's so much synergy. I think we attract the same type of dentist, is what I'm trying yeah. to say, right? A growth-minded, entrepreneurial, someone who wants a full career, big career, whatever that looks like for them, whatever big and full looks like for them. Um, but it's but it's going to take learning one way or the other, meaning clinical. Or entrepreneurial or leadership or whatever. It's going to take learning and you're going to have to be a learner regardless of what path you pick. Um, and that's why I like how we both do it. And and authentically, Richard, I can feel it from you right now that you you love dentistry, you love you love the business of dentistry, you love the profession of dentistry, and, and you talk good things. Like I can see, you know, it, it's all over Craig saying, like, oh yeah, you said that. I'm so glad you said that, because that narrative is missing, right? Like the questions that you even ask, as opposed to saying, Here's what you should do which is kind of what i do a lot here's what you should do just do these three steps you actually flip it back and say hey are you willing to 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 take a risk are you willing to learn how to run the business and are you willing to be learn how to be a leader and you ask good questions first and i think that resonates with craig a lot well
2: good i've updated my framework based on this conversation today so i've i've taken stuff i was writing stuff down and like i said i'm stealing stuff on future slides and and i'll i'll be throwing stuff out like Craig told me this. Peter told me this. I really appreciate the conversation we, we got to have today. Thanks. for It's awesome. Yeah, I'm really, awesome. I'm really
1: grateful that, um, that you, that we put this together because, uh, it's been very informative for me. I'm really proud of what you're doing. I hope that doesn't sound, uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I'll yeah, it is, I'm really, I'm just happy that you're doing it because you have a micro, a lo, you know, a microphone with a large audience and it's really a responsibility, you know, and, and I want you to be inclusive and, and speak to everybody and, and, and I'm, you're doing it. You're, you're, you're talking, the, you're walking the talk, so you're Thank good you. for dentistry and I'm proud to, yep. proud to, proud to know you.
0: Thank you. Yep. That's awesome. We're probably going to break this up, Richard, on our end in just two, in two segments, because we're now at, God, the time flies when you're having, um, pretty long for a pod. Like a moment
1: to me. <laughs> Love it.
0: All right. I'm going to fade us out. Until next time, see you on the world Through Dental Practice Podcast. We're out,
1: everybody.